welcome to yet another episode of your sister in law podcast a show where we talk about the law life and innovation i'm your host rotendo a mom wife sister and above all lawyer Software developers often create intellectual property such as source code, algorithms, and user interfaces. This IP can be valuable, and it is important for software developers to protect it from infringement. My guest today for this episode is George Chakama, a software developer by profession. George is a highly motivated and skilled full-stack developer with extensive experience in JavaScript. He has a passion for building tools that positively impact his community and he strives to use technology to create meaningful change. His work has been recognized through numerous awards, including the prestigious Tech Innovator of the Year Award in 2021 and the Outstanding Young Person Award in 2022. George's expertise extends beyond software development. He is a strong collaborator and communicator able to work closely with clients and colleagues to understand their needs and deliver effective solution. He's deeply committed to promoting diversity, equity, and inclusion in the tech industry, and he actively works to mentor and support aspiring developers from underrepresented backgrounds. Welcome to this week's episode, George. Oh, that's that's an awesome you know, introduction. I, I should save this and use it as of a yourself, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much, Rukendo, uh, for having me. Uh, it's an honor to you know be here discussing uh, this wonderful topic that you brought up. Ah, oh, that's awesome. So, my first and most obvious question to you is: What are your thoughts on the future of law? Hmm. I mean, it's a uh, especially like with uh, with my field. Um, I mean, there's a lot of work that really needs to be done, um, especially with the upcoming, you know, changes in the industry that we now have. I mean, talk about AI, you know, it's something that we, we've been pushing, you know, you know, sort of ignoring as it was coming up to say, ah, nah, nah. But then right now with the pace it's really coming up with, I mean, mm-hmm. it really needs to be, you know, monitored and we really need quite a lot of laws that also can touch on the, those areas. So, I mean, the future of law, really, yeah, there's a lot that can really be done, uh, especially in my field. Because right now, I'm pretty sure a lot of people are really scared of, you know, what's been set up uh, to, you know, to moderate um, how, you know, these AI uh, things that are coming up can be monitored. And mm-hmm. also the fear of AI taking over the world. So I, I feel like if we have laws that can govern that, um, I think everyone can be safe and everyone who have an assurance that things will be well. So, I mean, the future of really looking bright right now. There's, there's more work that can be done, in, mm. especially in my field. And I agree with you on that one, especially when it comes to the lawyers themselves, because like you said, artificial intelligence is slowly taking over, right? But there's lack of regulation and frameworks around that system, which can make it uh, a delicate topic, especially for for people to adapt to because they're not sure that okay fine if i probably create a system around ai um 
what happens, you know, in terms of infringement, what happens in terms of um, breach of contracts and things like that. Um, mm. So, yeah, I feel like uh, when it comes to, to uh, the law graduates or the law professionals themselves, we actually need to start studying artificial intelligence, you know, taking those like free Google courses on AI, what it means to actually understand and appreciate enough uh, to create policies around it. Yeah. So. And those are the things. Oh yes. Another thing. You know, uh, with these AI tools that we now have, like the problem with you know intellectual property. Um, you know, like even when you go to varsity and you write an answer on something, they are supposed to cite where you got that information, right? Mm -hmm. But then with these tools now, they just check information. They don't really cite that. You know, I took this from Rochendo's book or something like that, and that's really bad. You know. I agree. And there's yeah. a whole lot of plagiarism that's happening. And you're not even sure that even if the AI does plagiarism checks, is it really um, the, 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 the correct thing or what is really happening? So I think it takes a lot of mm. understanding and a lot of adapting um, for us to be able to actually effectively use it. So I've sort of interacted with quite a number of software developers, right? And the one thing they don't like to do is share their ideas. You know, like software developers are quite scared, you know, when it comes, whether it's a hackathon, whether it's um, uh, pitching, whether it's just an environment of talking about your ideas, software developers are quite secretive. I agree with that um, totally on one end, because I feel like um, you don't know who you're sharing to, you know, so there's a high risk of um, theft. Um, at the same time, uh, like I think we had in our previous discussion that, you know, it's also a way of showcasing the work that you're capable of doing. So what are your simple thoughts on that? Mm, okay, yeah, I totally understand. Like, um, it's totally understandable that, you know, some software developers may be hesitant to share their ideas. Mm -hmm. Like, it's, it's yeah, well, they likely, like, um, they've invested a significant amount of time and resources into developing them. Um, so sometimes it's sort of fear that my idea can get stolen or something like that. Um, however, you know, collaboration and knowledge sharing can lead to even greater innovations and mm -hmm. advancements in the industry uh, because, you know, you share your idea with me and then I can, you know, tell you more of how you can improve it. But the reason why most of them are really quite shy is, um, I mean, we've had some cases where ideas have been stolen and we've had some cases where, you know, I come up with an idea, but now I don't have the resources to execute mm -hmm. that idea. Mm -hmm. So if I share the idea with you, you have the right resources. So you can easily, you know, take my idea, build it in a day, launch it, and then me, I don't have any resources to say. Yeah. Uh, so I think that's why most of them are really uh, shy because I, I don't know. Um, sharing ideas is really tricky in my field. Um, but I think the, I think there should be ways that you know uh, they can be you know assured that you know you can share idea, not idea getting stolen. <laughs> yeah, right. Something. Because I think also it then just goes down to the concept of intellectual property. Do you really think software developers understand it? Maybe before I actually give my response to that, <laughs> I'll be lying if I say they do. Um, I'll be lying because I mean there are a few guys that I've talked to that you know that know uh the concept of that. But the thing is, um, I, what I would say is developers, um, they're now, they're quite used to working for a company, right? Mm -hmm. Whereby, you know, I'm just building something on my own. I'm, I'm building something for the company. And then the company handles, you know, all the intellectual things, whatever. My mm -hmm. job is just to build. 
mm-hmm. when a developer build on their own their own product right their own tool they don't really know like the other aspects of you know managing that thing um and dealing with intellectual property so that's why most of them get stuck uh, when the ideas get stolen and then mm. they end up saying no i'm never gonna share my ideas again um because they would have had like history you know my ideas mm-hmm. uh, i don't think know about um intellectual properties right yeah because also through my interactions i then discovered that you know like software developers you are quite overzealous you know like because you know how to code and whatever you've got several ideas around uh your brain so you're just in this creative space and because you already understand technology you feel like you just need to just build right also to build your portfolio but also just to satisfy your creative energy but the danger now i think is also when it comes to not really understanding what ip is so you could be formally employed or you could be just a developer working remotely uh and when it comes to employment you could just sign away um you know like an employment contract you don't even know you don't even go through it but you're just happy because you're employed you know so you're not really uh, aware that okay fine when it comes to some of the projects that i develop if i'm employed what does it mean and um besides that if i decide to create uh an idea that is not company related or maybe that's company related but that i'm not told to create right and then you probably present it to you know like uh, your superiors and then they take it and then you're like hey, but guys yeah. this idea is mine i created it on my own time and i presented to you why are you taking it you know there's a whole lot of drama that happens around that um and i think it just goes back to the basics like do you just understand the concept of intellectual property which is what i've really been yeah. trying to do you know uh doing outreach uh, awareness trainings attending conferences speaking to developers speaking to just entrepreneurs um as a whole like okay guys do you just understand what it means to say um you've created but do you own it and do you can you prove that you own it right because there's mechanisms to help you prove that you own something and like i think when we had a discussion you know previously we were talking about patents right in terms of you yeah. trying to get protection to prove that you are the owner of this invention or you are the inventor of mm. this invention um there's a, a system right there's systems to help you do that but does the system uh favor the software developer in terms of costs what are your thoughts in terms of registration let's say for you someone who actually understands what a patent is for example do you feel like the system is favorable towards software developers in terms of costs yeah i really doubt it is not um i remember when i was trying to register you know so that idea of mine and i ended up giving up on it if you go to the i mean they are okay they are free right but then uh, it depends on the situation that you're currently in and mm-hmm. most of the developers are just developers who are upcoming you know they're still learning about the industry but they also have their own ideas that they want to execute so i mean um it's it's not really favorable uh it's quite expensive really for is your comp- i mean like if you're talking in the aspects of Zimbabwe where we are right now mm-hmm. um because if you i mean it's quite affordable but the fees yen is in there they are quite a lot and also the processes um that you know you have to go through um i feel like it's expensive because most of these guys are still students mm-hmm. who have their ideas that and if you if it's not a student it's a freelance developer mm-hmm. which yes you know uh, some gigs from time to time but 
um, they can't really afford to pay those large amount of uh, fees. So that's why I feel like most of the developers that we have in this team, they have a lot of ideas that they're just holding back, uh, mm. setting up the funds to say, you know, executing them because they don't really have the right funds uh, mm. to execute them because they are some of them are students, some of them are new, newly, you know, um, new in the industry, and some of them are you know just freelancers. So they're still saving up. For the whole process, the same patents, but um, I think it's mainly like lack of knowledge too, because some of them actually think that it's super expensive too, um, because of some prices they've had before in the streets. <laughs> okay, okay, yeah, and I agree, I agree totally, because and I feel like I also felt uh, how expensive or how I don't know quite pricey the system was when it came to me trying to also register my stuff, you know. I'm always preaching about guys protect your IP, but but when it actually came to me trying to protect my own thing, I was just like, guys, ah, this is quite hectic, mm -hmm. you know. Um, also because, like you said, it depends at the situation you're at. You know, you could be just a startup and you're literally starting up, so you are trying to raise funds to actually raise it uh, to register a company. Once you are done, you feel like you've 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 managed to go over one hurdle. Then you're like, okay, fine, when it comes to my IP, all right, maybe let me start with my trademark and then let me go patent route. But when it comes to the fees, you actually sit down and you think twice, you know, and you're like, ah, okay, does this really make sense? Or maybe uh, let me just push because no one will see my idea. So it's really a hustle. And I think it takes more than just us as entrepreneurs or just like, you know, even the legal fraternity. It also takes the system itself, you know, to also come down and adapt um that's why maybe even if you check some of the filings that happen to the regional organization right they're mostly done from outside of africa because the 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 the, the western parts of the world they can afford and they already understand the system behind intellectual property so they can afford to file those fees when it comes to filings locally especially even zimbabwe it's less than 10 for example per year because not many people can even afford you know to try and file and get something around it. So what I then did, right, this is now me sort of trying to introduce um, one of the projects that we've been working at at Zelta, which is Zimbabwe Innovation Legal Tech Association for those that are joining today. Um, it's mainly an association that uh, helps uh, to try and create tech products that accelerate access to legal services and access to justice, but also incubate and accelerate um, innovation within the legal space, right? So one of the projects that we've been working on is an IP platform, uh, because also we realize that many people or many creatives or whether it's your software developers, your graphic designers or authors and anyone who's mainly in the um, creation space uh, that uh, can get copyright protection, they fail to um, get registration for their works or they fail to actually um, register formally their work also because copyright works, you get protection automatically by you just merely, you know, just jotting down your thoughts or writing it in um, or expressing it in tangible format, you get protection. So with that, there's a high risk of infringement because how do you prove that, guys, I'm the one who wrote this first, right? So let's say you want to go and pitch your idea. You still have it as an idea. You wrote it down. You want to go and pitch maybe to this big company. Um, you just go there and even if you have like a non-disclosure agreement, you're too scared, right? To ask them to sign because they make it seem like you want them more and get you the one with the product. So number one, forcing them to, to sign an NDA can be a challenge. 
you trying to register a patent quickly can be expensive, but by mainly you having that documentation, you are for the copyright protection. So what we then did is created a platform or rather a vote type of platform called Prove It. We want people to be able to upload all their documents. So it could be soft code, right? It could be your pictures. It could be your books, your, your unpublished books. It could be um, your dissertations even. Whatever it is, right? You upload it onto that vote and then you request for a certificate. Because um, like I said, there's no formal or tangible paper that can prove that you're the owner. Like uh, a trademark, you get a certificate or like a patent, you get a certificate. But when it comes to copyright, especially in the African jurisdiction, there isn't that formal need to actually register. So the platform then will allow you to upload your stuff, one, request for a certificate for as little as $2, right? Um, and also because we'll be working in collaboration with the local offices, you can then get a certificate uh, with a timestamp that proves that you're the owner of this thing. So you can at least use that, you know, to go into these platforms um, and present your idea. And you can even use that in court because this is a legal document that has been sent by an official authority that gives you the timestamp that you are the owner of this thing. And obviously with AI, we would want yeah. to then be able to end up monitoring some of these works online. So there's an option of you making your work visible or denying visibility to people. But as long as you also give the platform um, the ability to monitor your works or if you subscribe, you'll be able, the system will then be able to monitor, especially when it comes to like graphic images, your logos, your pictures and whatever, will then be able to actually monitor where some of your works are being used without your authority. And even so, um, you can then also be able to issue like takedown notices, uh, copyright strikes and things like that through the platform, especially for works that you would have uploaded. So I really feel like it's quite game changing because again, it's uh, an affordable way to protect your work. I don't know, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, it really is, it's a game changer really. Nice, even the course that you're mentioning right now, it's really, sounds too good to be true. <laughs> <laughs> But right. I definitely needed, definitely needed. Um, and I feel like, especially guys listening right now at your projects, um, definitely this is for you. Uh, but hey, okay, nice. It's mm. it's way different than the prices that I've I've had for you know, for these items. Yeah, by far. So you right. Yeah, because also uh -huh. it will enable you to then you know at least just have some sort of tangible thing, even if you have a pile. Mm. Of, of, of those certificates, it doesn't matter because they are yours, right? And at any time you also decide, oh, okay, maybe I want to go and approach this company with this specific idea. You can gladly tell them, you know, before you even talk about your project that, you know what, I already have a timestamp certificate. And sooner or later, we're going to be incorporating blockchain within that project so that um, for authenticity purposes, you know, um, but at least, you know, you have some sort of security where you can then just go to people and talk about your ideas freely. Um, and then whilst you're doing that, you can then start raising funds for patent protection and all those things. But at least, you know what, this is mine, you know, um, it can help. And then maybe you can, you know, use that for, for your future endeavors. Let's talk more about Hear Me, right? And the work that you guys have been doing and how you feel like technology has enabled your team to be, you know, efficient at what you do. Okay, so yeah, well, the aim is like, uh, it's a platform that leverages uh, powerful AI uh, to help out, you know, um, 
build like everybody is part of AI and machine learning, whereby you know we are trying by all means to 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 break the bridge between you know people in sign language and people with uh, speech impairments communicating with them with the, with the communities that they are surrounding them. Mm -hmm. So uh, we're trying by all means to educate people on it on using it, and also um, we have a mobile app that I've been building recently that I'm supposed to, to release. I think tomorrow to be uh, uh, to be active on Play Store and App Store. I think should be sometime around next week. So uh, what it does is it, it takes um, you know it recognizes speech and then it translates it into like a readable text. For example, if you cannot hear, uh, you can listen using that app and then mm. it translates that, uh, that those words or voices into readable text in any language that you want. So if the person is speaking in Shona, that's what mm -hmm. uh, the feature that we are putting. Way by you know if they're speaking in Shona, it identifies it, and then it writes down the Shona items that you know uh, they are talking about this, this, and that. Okay. If it's English, yeah, if it's English, it identifies that it's English. And also, if you want it to be written in Shona, let's say for example, I don't know English, I know Shona, I can read mm -hmm. Shona, then translate that English sentence that someone is speaking about, and then it translates it into Shona so that you can read. And then you, you can respond in any language that you want by the app again by typing whatever you want to type, and then it says it in any language that you want it to say. Okay. Yeah. okay, interesting. I mean, the power of technology. I mean, technology is just an enabler, you know, and I feel like that's quite efficient, especially um, in the speech impairment uh, department. But yeah, kudos to you guys. Hopefully, you know, it grows. Uh, hopefully it grows, yeah, and becomes something that's phenomenal. So anyway, the we've come to actually the end of our episode. Um, do you have any advice to law students or law graduates or anyone in the legal field from a software development perspective? Uh, okay, yeah. I'll say that, you know, my advice to, to law students and graduates uh, would be to stay updated with the latest techno uh, technological developments um, in the industry. While traditional legal skills such as you know, research and writing are still highly valuable, but uh, you know, proficient in areas such as data analytics and AI pod mm. can mm. additionally, you know, um, networking and building relationships with other legal professionals can uh, can also open doors and lead to, to new opportunities. Because mm. there's a difference between school learning um, graduating and also being part of the field, you know, mm. for you to be really part of the network with guys who've been in the field, share with them ideas, and also keep learning and keep studying, you know, because after graduation, it's not just after graduation when you say, you know, I'm not studying anymore. Mm -hmm. Look at how the industries, especially the tech industry, things keep growing every single day. So my advice would be, you know, stay updated those changes, learn like how they are moving, and then leverage them. Uh, so that you can use them well uh, to better your job or to find ways or channels that you can, you know, maneuver in and then execute. I agree totally. I agree totally with that. And another thing to note from my end is um, I feel like we should get into the habit of writing everything down. You know, if you're working on a confidential project, make sure you get everything in writing. Um, and this includes your NDAs and your employment contracts. Be aware of the terms of your agreements, you know. Once you have signed an agreement, make sure that you understand the terms. If you have any questions, I feel like it's good to actually consult with an attorney and comply with the terms of the agreements as well, you know. 
uh, because once you have signed an agreement, it's important to actually comply. So you also need to stay up to date on data privacy laws, you know, because they are constantly changing. And it's also important for software developers to stay up to date with these laws so that they can comply with them. So by following some of these tips, software developers can help protect themselves from contractual and legal challenges. We've come to the end of our episode. Thank you to my guest today and thank you to my listeners. Catch you in the next one.